exactly why you have no friends. Look, some gal killed a bunch of people at the mall last night. Holy shit. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? Sarah fears that. Christ, not you too. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. We're together for one night and dick. They're trying to kill us. Maybe we are doomed. She was so sexy, but so crazy. Normal bitches don't bleed black blood. You can't stop it. I can't really be a lawyer and a criminal, can I? I want to win, but do I want to win like this? I'm of two minds here, so it's a coin flip. Johnny Vitti was murdered tonight. Falcone crime family has to be taken down. There's only room for one homicidal maniac in this town. Why are you running? You could use a little fun. I thought you didn't hurt people! You thought wrong. You still haven't figured out who killed John Vitti? A killer who only works on holidays. There's lots of crazy out there. Once I take him out, things are going to be different. We can start a family. The city has fallen, Alfred. Then we must endeavor to lift it up again. Who is Holiday? And who's next? He was a better soldier. You were my dad. <laughs> Careful. Come on. Let's go. Did you actually see my dad's wife? Yes. <laughs> we look after each other. Kind of like brothers. Yeah, kind of like brothers. James, they're cleaning house. You're leaving the army with an honorable discharge, but you're losing your pension and health care. We gave them our minds, our bodies, and our spirit. They chewed us up and spit us out. What you did in uniform? Sledgehammer shit. Our thing, scalpel work. We operate in a deep black OGA offshoot with direct presidential authority. Bank some decent cash, put a down payment on the house. It's not dangerous. Now I know you're lying. Maybe I need to take care of my family. So what do you say, you down for the cause? Yeah. 
Jones. Hello and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. Or, in this case, it's just Max Watches a Movie and a television series and another movie. Uh, this week, Jason is again on another trip. Anya's internet is still out. So it's just me here in Lord Movie Studios. I think that's what we're calling it. I don't know what we're calling our studios. Not that we really have a studio. But this week, I'm going to discuss three movies and probably some other things besides. Uh, tonight, I'm going to begin talking about the new Chris Pine action film called The Contractor, starring, let me get my notes out here, audience, uh, trying to be organized, but not entirely organized. You can hear my note paper flapping in the wind here. Uh, it's directed by Tarek Saleh, uh, starring Chris Pine as James Harper. Jillian Jacobs as Brianne Harper, Ben Foster as Mike, and Kiefer Sutherland as Rusty Jennings. The story is one of an old Special Forces operator, played by Chris Pine, who gets routed out of the military because he's been taking, I think, performance-enhancing drugs to stay viable in Special Forces. But that's a, that's a, that's a non-starter with his new CO, who's going to go ahead and send him out to pasture. He'll still get an honorable discharge. Charge, but he loses his pension and other benefits, and that sort of puts him behind the eight ball financially. So, in this terribly sad state of needing money, he has to think about a new way to uh, make money. And that sends him down the private contractor road. A, a former operator friend of his points him in the direction of a ethical contractor organization. Our hero, Ben Foster, no, not Ben Foster, sorry, our hero, James Harper, sort of buys into the notion that his new group, his new contractor group that he's going to work for, is on the the up and up and still kind of doing legit work for the United States government. So he gets to continue to do what he wants to do, which is protect and serve American citizens. And of course, if you've seen the trailer, you know already that Chris Pine's character is in the wrong. The organization he's working for is actually pretty sketchy, probably more involved in industrial espionage rather than legit state-sponsored espionage for the good of national security. One moment while I take a drink of my Woodford Reserve. What do you guys drink when you talk about movies or watch movies let us know in the comments uh, let us know wherever you watch movies <laughs> um i drink a lot of woodford reserve lately it's my dad's favorite uh, bourbon and so he and i can't get together that often anymore because we live so far apart so often in honor of my dad i'm drinking some woodford reserve which is a pretty good bourbon but let's go back to this movie i could go on i could i could go in more detail probably about each particular beat of the film each each act of the film but i don't think i really need to you've seen this movie before in in fact, you've sort of seen this movie with Chris Pine and Ben Foster in Hell or High Water. That film had Chris, I'm sorry, that film had Ben Foster and Chris Pine as down and out kind of working class everyman. Ben Foster's character in that plays a ex-con. Chris Pine plays a divorced father trying to hold on to his family's land and ranch in West Texas. To create the capital to maintain their farm, they go on a desperate bank robbery spree. I think in that one maybe Chris Pine was a former military person but it sort of ends in a similar way as this film which I won't I won't describe what happens at the end of the contractor but if you've seen Hell or High Water you sort of know the general outline of desperate people resorting to sort of dangerous work to make ends meet is the contractor good 
I don't know. I think it's it's okay for this kind of film. It's a film you've seen before. So I was expecting, and it's sort of billed as, you know, a, a good blockbuster action film. Sort of in the vein of John Wick, but it's so much slower. And the action beats are unimpressive, might be the word. They're not bad. Uh, I know Chris Pine goes to Terran Tactical and, and practices his uh, gun-foo. <laughs> But he practices firearms uh, sh uh, shooting, and so he, he looks very tactical. Everybody looks really good doing what they do in the film. And, and there are some good set pieces, I, I won't deny it. But I felt a little underwhelmed by everything in the film. And I found that his character, James Harper, falls a little too easily for the spiel that Kiefer Sutherland's character gives him in the movie about who his organization is, about what they do, about who they take orders from. It seems like an operator as skilled and and experienced as James Harper is billed as being, would do a little research of, on his own. Maybe he was just desperate. I don't know if they sell that and, and just wanted to believe what he was being told. I finished the film being a bit lukewarm about it. It's not bad. It's not great. Uh, Chris Pine is very good. Ben Foster is very good. Kiefer Sutherland is very good. Everybody's quite good in it. But in the, in the era that we live in, I expected a bit more. And I expected a bit more from, from Chris Pine, rather than a sort of special forces rehash of Hell or High Water. And that's not that's not entirely fair to the movie. But, you know, if you're bored on a Saturday night and it's streaming free somewhere, yeah, i definitely say give it a whirl. It's probably a solid 7 out of 10 for fans of action. Maybe 8 out of 10 for people who aren't really ensconced in the genre. But it's not it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> So, yeah, give it a shot if you got nothing else going on. All right, next on the agenda is Batman The Long Halloween, directed by Chris Palmer, based on a story by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, starring Jensen Ackles from Supernatural, probably other things too, uh, as Bruce Wayne, Batman, Naya Rivera as Catwoman, Josh Dumel as Harvey Dent, Billy Burke as Commissioner Jim Gordon, David Dastmalkian as Calendar Man, Alishar Duncan as Alfred, Julia Nathanson as Gilded, Gilded Dent, and Titus Welliver as Carmine Falcone. Folks, we've done a lot of Batman on this podcast, and you're probably wondering why I picked this. And there is a reason. I was a huge fan of the original story that this movie was based on by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And Tim Sale died last week. He's sort of a giant in the comics industry. He had a almost 40s or 50s, 50s-ish style, maybe even late 30s for the comic book stylings. And he drew really a, a great Batman, not my favorite Batman. And he, it, but his Catwoman was really one of the best Catwoman renderings I've I've ever seen. It remains one of my favorite to this day. Tim Sale's death kind of hit me hard this week. He sort of reminded me of Darwin Cook, who's another great we lost a few years ago, and also had, Darwin Cook also had a really retro style, and I watched Batman The Long Halloween because one of the things that DC Animated has done pretty well in the past when they adapt a, a great work of comic fiction to their animation storytelling style is they've tried in the past to really imitate with their animation the artistic styling of the artist who made the who made the book uh, what it was in the minds of the readers. When they did The Dark Knight Returns uh, by Frank Miller and 
Batman Year One, also by Frank Miller, but done by a different artist, a guy named Dave Mazzuccelli. I think I said that right. Uh, they tried very hard, uh, the animators at DC, which I think I think they actually use like like Korean animation houses to do that. But they 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 put it in their I guess their parameters that they wanted the art to look very much like the the comic book artist, uh, what the comic book artist had tried to put on the paper. They wanted to have a, a fairly decent, I guess, uh, a fairly accurate representation of what the artist was doing. So I I wanted to see that done for the long Halloween with Tim Sale's art because I, th- I thought gosh that would be a nice little tribute and a nice kind of way to get reacquainted with the long Halloween story that he and Jeff Loeb worked so hard on that was so popular I guess I'll give a little backstory about the long Halloween Jeff Loeb was sort of lured back to do this Batman story he was doing some work on at Marvel with Tim Sale and they'd done some I think they'd done some work with Deadpool and some other art some other character I think the name's escaping me but he was Jeff Loeb was meeting with Archie Goodwin and Archie Goodwin said hey you know we'd like you guys to come and do some some Batman stuff you guys always did gangsters really well and that was enough to get Jeff Loeb hooked specifically Archie Goodwin uh, who I think was an editor at DC had said he wanted the, an exploration of what was I think he said something like uh, I always wondered what happened after Batman year one which he knew was sort of a great hook for Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale because they like many other people who were really into Batman think that Batman year one rather than Batman the Dark Knight returns both great stories by frank miller was the ultimate batman story that is to say they thought batman year one is the best batman story ever i'm i've kind of come around to that point of view but the other thing that goodwin said i think it was goodwin said he always wa- he wanted them to really kind of think about what harvey dent was doing after year one how did harvey dent get to where he gets in batman canon now harvey dent of course becomes two-faced anyway the long halloween is born of these conversations with jeff loeb and and or the beginning of it is born of these conversations with Jeff Loeb and Archie Goodwin and then of course the the teamwork of Loeb and Tim Sale and I tell you what, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale have produced some of the most touching comic art I've ever read. Whether they're working at Marvel, whether they're working at DC, I, I think they do great stuff. And The Long Halloween was the first Batman story in a long time that really grabbed me. Uh, I liked Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's work on Hush, but I'm telling you, The Long Halloween put me back in mind of Batman Year One. So, with the death of Tim Sale, I was thinking, okay, well, I want to kind of get reacquainted with this material but in a motion picture form and one of the reasons why I did that was because I knew that DC animation sometimes really tried to imitate the work of the artists and so I began my journey into Batman the Long Halloween and on this front audience I have to say Batman the Long Halloween doesn't really deliver it did not remind me of the story because the art doesn't really try that hard to look like Tim Sale's art the credits put like a lot of panels from the comics right in the credits and so it's nice to see Tim Sale's art but the artists at whatever animation house they use don't really bother trying to articulate Tim Sale's style in a motion in a moving animation way in an animated way (laughs) maybe that's what I'm trying to say maybe the Woodford Reserve is altering my ability to be eloquent so so 
right off the bat, I'm a little disappointed in the way the film's panning out. And and it would only kind of go downhill from there. The voice acting is really good. But let me, let me tell you a little bit about what The Long Halloween is. It is a series of murders that take place from Halloween to Halloween. So The Long Halloween from the title. So 13 months of murders that Batman has to try and solve. He is mystified by the by the course of these murders. Uh, but he's the world's greatest detective. That's, that's in the tagline of many a Batman comic book. So it's neat to see him be the detective in this. We don't really see the detective in the, the Frank Miller novels that sort of inspire this this story. That, or or the, the Batman stories of Frank Miller's, that timeline in which this long Halloween seems to be set. But we do see the detective here. He's Batman's figuring, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out who is killing criminals. It's mostly criminals who are being killed or corrupt cops, which are, I, I suppose, criminals, corrupt officials who are criminals. And he's trying to figure that out along with uh, with the help of Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon. Now, I didn't reread the Long Halloween. I have flipped through a little bit of it to see how tight the story is, how tight the adaptation is, and it's really not that tight. They change some things right off the bat. The film, the film's choices are already working against me enjoying the film. But, you know, the voice acting is really quite good. The animation, even though it's not in the style of Tim Sale, is quite good. So the film doesn't function for me as a way to meditate on Tim Sale's work. And it's what I kind of wanted. I'm going to have to reread Batman The Long Halloween to get that experience again. But as a DC animated film, I suppose it works pretty well. We get the rogues gallery. We get a nice voice actor for Catwoman. Catwoman pops up a lot in the course of the film. She seems to hate Carmine Falcone and a lot of the, the Gotham underworld. I think Long Halloween actually does a lot to inspire the latest Batman film, The Batman, which we've done on the on the show. I, I do think that the legacy of Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb's work on Batman looms really large in the latest Batman in terms of the focus on Gotham's criminal underworld, which sometimes Batman doesn't focus on like on normal villains in the movies. It's always the really spectacularly cinematic villains, Joker, Riddler, Two-Face. A lot of these characters will make an appearance in the movie, and some you're not even used to. Solomon Grundy, who I think a lot of people would think of as more of a Superman villain, certainly a villain you saw more in the old Justice League cartoon. Solomon Grundy is a kind of zombie who can be killed, but when he comes back, he comes back with various different personalities, at least in Long Halloween, if memory serves. So you get a lot of the rogues gallery in in the movie and in the, in the comic. Jensen Ackles is a really good Batman. He has actually appeared in another really good Batman movie, animated movie called the Batman: The Red Hood, and he plays a reincarnated, a uh, reanimated rather, Jason Todd. Jason Todd was the second Robin who is brutally killed in the comic book uh, by Joker. Interestingly, audience, a uh, little aside here: when Jason Todd was killed in the comic book way back in the day in a in a in a four part series called Death in the Family. DC actually, DC Comics, actually had a hotline readers could call to vote on whether or not they wanted Jason Todd to live or die in this storyline. And it was readers who killed off poor Jason Todd. And I must confess, I called in and voted for the death of Jason Todd. And he's killed with a crowbar. It's pretty brutal. I've just given that away. But he comes back, as a lot of comic book characters do. But Jensen Ackles played the reanimated Jason Todd. And he's very good in that. And that's actually, it's not a great adaptation of Death in the Family. It's an okay, I mean, I, I suppose, it, actually, I take that back. It does a great job of adapt, adapting the tail end of 
Death in the Family, where Joker kills Jason Todd. But is it a great adaptation of the Red Hood? It had been a long time since I read the I, I read the Red Hood when I saw it, and I don't really remember the Red Hood that terribly well. Batman: The Red Hood is a great Batman animated film. I enjoy it a lot. It's got a great voice cast. I mean, it's got a stellar voice cast. Actually, a lot of great actors in it, and Jensen Ackles being one of them. Doogie Howser, the actor's name is escaping me at the moment. He plays Nightwing. Great Nightwing. I can't remember who plays Tim Drake, who is the latest Robin in that storyline. But I'm off track here. Jensen Ackles has been in the DC animated universe before, and he's a really good voice of the Batman. He reminds me very much of one of the most iconic actors to portray the Batman and Bruce Wayne ever, and that is Kevin Conroy, who voiced the character for a generation in the early 90s in Batman the Animated Series. One of the best actors who has ever played Batman. I mean, Kevin Conroy, he, he, he gets a lot of credit for it in DC fandom, but it's, it's sad that a wider world doesn't know how good Kevin Conroy is. And in fact, Batman the Animated Series is something I couldn't recommend highly enough. It has the best Joker that has ever been, voiced by Mark Hamill. That's right, the Mark Hamill, the Luke Skywalker that you're probably well familiar with. It, it's got some of the best interpretations of the characters. It's almost, it's very 40s-esque, which I think was inspired, uh, th- that direction was decided on by the great artists who were working on the comic book. I'm, I'm sorry, on the cartoon. Bruce Tim, Darwin Cook, others I, I'm sure I don't even know. But anyway, Jensen Ackles definitely reminds me of the Kevin Conroy voice acting. And he's great. Everybody else is good in the movie. I like I like the guy who they got to play Harvey Dent. And while I'm giving, I guess it sounds like I'm giving the movie a bit of a hard time, and I am because it wasn't what I wanted. It does definitely track the emotional journey of Harvey Dent. The Long Halloween is really the journey of Harvey Dent, sort of revealing that he has the potential to be something a lot worse than he wants to be. And I think that, I mean, that's the joy of reading The Long Halloween. Batman and Jim Gordon are exactly who they think they are. Harvey Dent isn't, and I think that is one of the the, the great insights of Batman the Long Halloween. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, should you watch it? If you're a Batman fan, obviously. If you're a Long Halloween fan, I think you're going to be a little disappointed in the film. But, I mean, you're going to you're gonna see the skeleton of the story that you came to love, but it's not going to have the Tim Sale art that you want. And so if you want to get reacquainted with Tim Sale and kind of have a, a, a nice moment with his art and his legacy, I would say pick up Absolute Batman the Long Halloween. It's a coffee table sized edition of the Long Halloween printed on really nice paper stock and it's the color's been a little bit re-engineered and you get like these great I mean it's a coffee table it's a coffee table sized book of Batman the Long Halloween and that's how I'm getting reacquainted with the great work of Tim Sale and yeah audience I, I swear that that one hit me this week and I almost I almost cried when I heard that Tim Sale had kicked off uh, but we have his work and we have his legacy of art. He's done a lot of great work and there's a lot of great work for him for, to, to read of his. And I would recommend go snatch up anything with Tim Sale's name on it. You'll, you won't be disappointed. He worked with some great people and he knew how to tell a story visually. So, uh, bottom line, DC Animated's Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, it's, it's worth your time. Moving on from movies to a television series from 2015. Folks, I've been circling around Rain Wilson Backstrom for a little while. I'd seen some trailers of it. I mean, it's a genre of police procedural that I, I, I refer to as smartest 
smartest cop in the room, smartest guy in the room, sort of like the the new Sherlock Holmes show with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And the trailers for Backstrom really sell this smartest cop in the room, the smartest detective in the room vibe. We have a witty detective. We have Rain Wilson mugging for the camera. We have grisly murders. We have fun crimes for him to solve and quirky villains and quirky characters that surround our hero. It sort of looked like it might even be like House, but a police procedural. House being the smart aleck, surly doctor who solves all kinds of medical mysteries, but is an asshole in the process. I had hoped to get some really nice Rain Wilson improvisational comedy, like a darker office maybe. The show's set in Portland. Uh, It's quite rainy. It's quite noir-esque but in color. and But anyway, I've seen a lot of trailers for it. I watched the trailer. I think, well, should I get this series? It's only 15 episodes long. It didn't really take off. It's a Fox show. Uh, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with Fox television, but I was worried it would be too much of a rehash of House, but in this new setting. And at any rate, I decided to take a chance on it. The season didn't cost that much, so I bought it. And I've only gotten one episode in, and I'm not really feeling it. In fact, I don't really like it at all. The character is so surly and unlikable and the show tries very hard to say shocking things to sort of offend any demographic that might be offendable and it doesn't do this in necessarily a witty way it doesn't do this in a way that is that makes anybody think it it just seems to be throwing out insult after insult through Backstrom's mouth uh, or offensive assumption after offensive assumption out of his out of his mouth merely to be provocative. It doesn't further the story. I mean, I suppose it establishes that Backstrom is an asshole and not a very likable guy, but it doesn't do it in an engaging way, and he's not engaging enough as he does it to to make the character compelling. It, it, it's 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 not Gran Torino. The the in Gran Torino, the Clint Eastwood movie, you have sort of a surly old man who has a lot of weird ideas, and he says a lot of racist things, a lot of sexist things, and a lot of homophobic things at times. But the character is played in such a way to let you know that he's actually a nice guy and that maybe he has some weird ideas about people, but he genuinely likes people. I th- I think. I think that's what we're supposed to get out of Gran Torino. Gran Torino is an intelligently provocative movie, I think. Mileage may vary. But Backstrom doesn't doesn't do that in a way that is intriguing or engaging, and I've and on top of that, the writing isn't very good. So these insults and these these uh, these zingers that Backstrom gives people, or these wicked insights that he sometimes hits people with, just aren't that engaging, and they're and they're and they're and they're not well written enough to sustain them. And you're as as a as a viewer, you're just kind of like, okay, I get it, you're an asshole, and the 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 game is up pretty quick it's a one trick pony so far i'll probably finish the series but but right now episode one pilot i'm i'm not feeling it i'm not feeling it at all it seems pretty weak and you almost would have you almost would have preferred smartest guy in the room but filmed in the office kind of way where you have like a documentary crew kind of following him around i mean it would be a bit stereotypical and it would sort of typecast rain wilson in this mockumentary kind of thing but it might work a little better but yeah so we have this character this surly character that goes around alienating everybody and it's hard to know why anybody 
he cares about his health. The other shtick that 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 Backstrom has is that he doesn't eat healthy. He's totally out of shape. He's got one foot in the grave, and he's only forty-five or fifty or something like that. And and he's got no inclination and no interest in getting better. It's a miracle that he's still on the force. And anyway, so that's the other trick. He's unhealthy. He eschews all advice about health. It's another kind of dig at, I guess, woke culture or or anybody who would tell you that there's a healthier way to live or a better way to live. It, it all seems so cynical and, and, and weirdly negative that it is, it's not really fun to watch. I haven't enjoyed any minute of the episode yet. So hopefully it improves. Sometimes, sometimes after a pilot, things do improve. Uh, writing gets a little crisper. Actors kind of figure out how to deliver their lines a little better. You know, I, I remember some shows where that, that's happened with. Uh, I don't have high hopes for that. Right now, I can only give the, the series 5 out of 10. I, I can't recommend it. Maybe that'll change later on. I don't know. And finally, I'm going to talk a little bit about Netflix's Fear Street Part 1, based on some R.L. Stein location, Fear Street, uh, some weird towns in his, in R.L. Stein's, some of R.L. Stein's old stories. I was never an R.L. Stein fan. I never read a lot of his books. My sister did read a lot of R.L. Stein, and I knew a few other people who read R.L. Stein. He was a little, he was aiming a little younger than what I was reading when he started writing. But Netflix has decided to adapt one of his literary works worlds, I guess, the Fear Street world, which uh, I think basically tells the story of these two rival parts of town that are in a kind of haunted, cursed area. The movie stars, let me find that, let me find the cast that's here. The movie stars Kiana Madeira as Dina, Olivia Scott Welsh as Samantha Fraser, Benjamin Flores Jr. as Josh, Julia Rewald as Kate, Maya Hawk as Heather, Charlene Amoya as Rachel Thompson. Let's see here. There's one other. I can't remember if there's anybody else here who's worth mentioning. I don't think there is. Anyway, uh, this film, Fear Street Part One, 1994 directed by Leigh Janik, takes place in the early 90s. The film actually kind of duplicates the the successful work of Wes Craven with the original Scream. It is almost an ode to the 90s slasher film. Now, it changes things up a little bit. Its heroes, Dina, Sam, Dina and Sam, are a lesbian couple in the early 90s. And I really liked them as a couple. I sort of believed their early 90s romance. It was a tough time to be out at that time and let's see here Kina Kiana Madeira's Dina is the out character in this and she I think she's great in the role I think she's a really fierce heroine which I like to see I'd like to see uh fierce uh heroines as 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 far back as I can remember 1978 uh probably with uh Princess Leia but I, I really liked her character. I liked Sam. I liked the kind of troubles that they kind of find themselves in, uh, as they might have in the early 90s. Uh, this is kind of a popcorn movie. There's nothing really deep going on. They're just two kids. Uh, there's no messages. There's no politics. There's no anything. This is just a group of kids who have to survive this horrifically cursed town. And their side of town, the poor side of town, is the more cursed, is is the most cursed side. And the, the film goes on to explain why and I won't reveal those mysteries. I'm going to say watch this film if you are a fan of movies like Scream, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, any of these kinds of entertainments because Fear Street Part 1, 1994 is actually a really good slasher film 
from those eras. This is a this is more a supernatural slasher film versus a oh gosh, I'm trying to think a more psychological based villain. The, the the creatures they have to fight are supernatural, and the the whole course of the movie is Dina and Sam and their their mystery crew trying to figure out the great mystery and how to uplift. Uh, sorry, how to break the curse of Fear Street, Sunnyvale, and I can't remember what the name of the cursed side of town is. But anyway, it's it's sort of like it's sort of it, it's sort of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the television series, in 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 that way. It's it's a really nice, knowledgeable take on the slasher film that harkens back to older films without aping them or copying them too gratuitously. Some of that happens, but it's sort of the nature of the beast here, right? When you're doing an ode or a send up or any of that kind of thing, you are going to kind of retread some well trodden ground. But you know. It does what it does really well, and if you've seen one slasher film, you have seen a bazillion of them. But so it's it's sort of like the western in that way. You're looking for a good execution, good acting, a good fun villain, and a good fun people, uh, good fun heroes to follow around. I mean to say. The this film certainly abides by the Stephen King thriller ethic uh, or axiom rule whatever you want to call it that he said Stephen King says this the rule of a good thriller is that anybody can die at any time now I think what he really means is that almost anybody can die at any time in a good thriller and that's the case here almost anybody can die at any time there'll be some things that are going to shock you here and you're going to be like wow how did that even happen why did that character die I didn't see that coming and so I, I think it's a it's a it's a great series i've watched part one and two and i need to get on to the part three and each each episode sort of takes place in a different era the 1970 uh, fear street part two 1978 is a really nice take on the 70s version of the slasher film and the 70s setting of the slasher film they all make uh, at least one and two i haven't seen the third one uh, they make great use of the music of the time and the the visual elements of the time they capture 1994 captures the 90s really well the 1970s are captured very well i think i was fairly young in 78 so i don't i don't know how accurate accurately the 70s are captured having seen several 70s films i think they do a pretty good job and so you know the film's got some great scares they're a lot of fun i i my inclination is to rate these films higher than they probably deserve because they are they are utilizing old tropes slasher tropes but they're also breaking new ground as well and 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 i i dig that and and so far i'm really i have to say i kiana madeira's dina is one of my favorite heroines in this genre in a long time and she's she's quite good and i like i like the fierceness of her character and uh, so i i definitely have to recommend this personally i would give these like i would give this a nine out of ten as just being a really fun ride now not everybody's going to agree with me on that I'm sure I'm sure there are detractors for these films. But as a slasher movie fan, I, I appreciate this. They don't take themselves too seriously. They are all about having a, a fun time, a fun night at the movies. All right, that's all I've got for this week, gang. Next week, we will be back on track to finish our Dirty Harry coverage. We'll begin with the next installment in the series, which is Magnum Force. To go along with that, we will have some more fun videos on the Dirty Harry series and related content 
content at our Instagram page, which is at Max and Jason Watch a Movie on Instagram. You can reach me at The Supper Test on Twitter. You can also reach out to us at LordMovies39 at gmail.com if you want to make some suggestions or push back on anything that we're saying. We can also be reached at Podbean, which is our podcast host. Like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. It helps the Apple iTunes algorithm sort us out a bit. We just cracked. We just crossed the thousand download threshold, which seems like kind of a nice milestone for a middling podcast that's trying to grow. Share us with all the friends that you have on the social medias, on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks. Directly text us to your closest family and friends. And we will see you next week with Magnum Force. And folks, that's all the news that's fit to print from Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max, and it's still just me in the studio. Night! Are you still drinking? Absolutely not. Patient says absolutely not. He's absolutely lying. If you Hindus are so smart, how come 98% of you live at the dump? This is my prescription. Make a friend? What am I, sick? You have one week to fill the prescription. Dr. Deb, two things. One, knowing I don't have long to live gives me the courage to do what's right. Two, Deb is a girl's name. Deb told me I'm gonna die. Who's Deb? My doctor. Well, she's right. She's a he. Finest detective. Why is a well-hung male model wearing only one boot? I'm declaring this death a possible homicide. Why? Homicide the department covers meals. Hey, who's up for a hot breakfast? Seriously? Because it's all so fucking hysterical.